you're listening to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you conversations for the health of all things. In these special episodes, I am joined by guests on the show to explore how the osteopathic concept presents in their lives and learn about their personal and professional stories. Ranging from osteopathic physicians to those familiar with osteopathic treatment to those associated with osteopathic medicine in a variety of settings, these conversations provide new perspective on lighting the way for the path to best health. Please note that while I am a physician and may interview other physicians, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Welcome back to another episode of Conversations for the Health of All Things. Today, I am joined by Dr. Megan Mello. She is a family medicine physician in Seattle, Washington, and is the founder of Healthier for Good, where she helps physicians get unstuck from burnout and overwhelm and live a healthier, happier life. Thanks so much for joining me here today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Well, do tell us your story into medicine. What brought you into this practice? Yeah, um, like so many, I was one of those five-year-olds who knew that I wanted to be a doctor. And um, the doctor that I saw was Dr. Abbott growing up, but he was Dr. Rabbit to me. And I just (laughs) wanted to grow up and and be him and see kids. And that's what I imagined for my future. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely sort of stayed on that path and wound up being a doctor. I love it. Were there any deviations? I actually did an episode recently where I looked at those, some of those, you know, off ramps and on ramps back to the path. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I remember towards the end of college, I was, you know, going through that. What do I, do I really want to do this and applied for um, teach for America mm-hmm. and could have definitely gone that path and, and wound up being a teacher, but Ultimately, I I got into medical school. I got into my med school of choice, University of Washington. And I was like, that's where I'm supposed to be. And ended up being a teacher in medicine for mm-hmm. a number of years. So it all worked out. I love that, right? You can still be the gateway to those other dreams as well. And how about choosing your specialty? So it sounds like maybe pediatrics was of interest to you. And then you ended up into family medicine and chose that. What led you there? Yeah. So I grew up seeing a family medicine doctor and, you know, what sounded to me the most fun was seeing kids. Cause when you're a kid, mm-hmm. you just think kids are the world. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but going through all the rotations, I kept, I enjoyed just about everything that I did, but it was one of those times where you look and you say, well, if I go into this, what do I not get to do? If I go into that, what do I not get to do? So mm-hmm. pediatrics, I wouldn't get to see the moms. I went into OBGYN, I wouldn't get to see the babies. Um, And so in my practice in family medicine, I ended up being pretty comprehensive and full scope and delivering babies for 11 years. And so really got the full picture of, you know, that birth to death experience Mm -hmm. and, and and really loved that. Yeah, I love it. And getting to keep that full scope for yourself. And as you expanded and looked at creating this business healthier for good, did you have your own experience with burnout or was it observing colleagues go through that or maybe both that led you into that space? All of the above. <laughs> I think, you know, what stands out to me from the very start of medical school is I remember on the first day showing up and one of the lectures was intended to be sort of inspirational, but it was make sure you go out for a run is what they said. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. 
I think that the people in the audience who are runners were like, yeah. And the rest <laughs> of us were like, what are you talking about? We're here to <laughs> learn to be doctors. What's wrong with you? And along my journey, I became increasingly aware, especially of women physicians who um, are about the age I am now, they were at the time, and observing them in what I didn't know to be called burnout at the time. Mm -hmm. Just seeing them working incredibly hard, often, you know, caring for a family or, you know, other family members uh, who needed their help, you know, pouring their hearts and souls into their patients and often teaching students and residents and sort of crumbling in on themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember showing up for an afternoon of a preceptorship with a woman physician who had two young children and she didn't know I was coming. So I, you know, knocked on the door. I'm like, oh, I'm here to work with you this afternoon. And the expression on her face mm-hmm. was just like, she'd just gotten the worst news in the world. Mm-hmm. And at the time, you know, of course I was like, oh gosh, what have I done? You know, like, yeah. why is it so awful to work with me? But looking back, I'm like, no, because she was so exhausted by all the mm-hmm. things that the the idea of having to be on for one more person mm-hmm. was just too, too much. much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And so when I was going through my training, I observed this kind of again and again. And in, in my world, I really only saw it in female physicians. I think the men I later learned were experiencing it, but they were better at hiding it mm-hmm. and perhaps had some more support. But of course, in the sort of med student, you know, resident trainee mindset, all I could interpret it as was failure, Mm. right? Like they're, they're in some way, they're failing to be tough enough. They're failing to, you know, be able to balance themselves. And I didn't, I didn't have any understanding of what it would be like to be really in their shoes, All I could see was, well, if you quit medicine or you take a break or, you know, any of those, any of those ways that it turned out, that something was wrong with you. Mm -hmm. And I think I fought with that idea for a really long time, but, you know, certainly in the practice of medicine and, you know, it looks different for different people, but I was constantly sort of bumping up against this intense overwhelm where I just felt really stuck and trapped. And even though I found meaning in the relationships with patients and the work that I was doing, it felt so onerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's an important point to note as well, because we often think they can't coexist, right? So if I like my patients, if I'm good at what I do, you know, if I enjoy pieces of it, you know, then I must not be burnt out or, mm-hmm. you know, this isn't worth addressing because there's enough good things there. So how do you help others and help yourself to see that both of those can be true, right? You can like what you do and be good at what you do and have some struggles with the sense of overwhelm in that space. Yeah. I think it's, it's complex to tease out because again, everybody looks a little bit different, but I think one place that I like to start with people is really to give them a deep foundation and understanding that their worth as a human is just implicit mm-hmm. and their worth is not tied to the amount of work they do as a doctor or otherwise. It's not tied to the quality of the work that they do as a doctor or otherwise. 
they have value just because they're human, because it's so easy for us to get disconnected uh, from that idea. And when we're struggling in burnout, to me, it feels like, like you kind of can't see the good that you're producing, right? That's one of the hallmarks is you feel like you're not being effective. You're not able to do anything worthwhile. And so we tend to try and work harder. We tend to make it mean I'm just not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not helping my patients enough. And we just crank it up on ourselves and, mm-hmm. and suffer so much more. So I really focus on trying to start from that foundation. Mm-hmm. And then we can start to really connect people with, okay, well, you know, what kinds of encounters do you find meaningful with patients and what do you not? And you know, do you need to, you know, for employed physicians, like, do you need to put so much weight into the thing that your employer is tracking like HEDIS measures? Mm -hmm. Or can you kind of respectfully, politely, just kind of detach from the idea that Mm -hmm. fixing your HEDIS measures makes you more valuable or a better doctor or a better human? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what do you find are some of those, like you mentioned, sometimes those external markers, surveys, and productivity can be key factors. What are the biggest barriers to people believing in that inherent, implicit, 100% worthiness? Yeah. You know, we were so um, so chiseled in our training to believe that I think our knowledge and our skills and our expertise were the thing that produced all patient outcomes. And when you believe that that's true... And then, um, you know, where I used to work, we had, um, we had Epic as our EMR and, mm-hmm. you know, it would show you this page when you logged in of all the things, you know, the green and the red of like mm-hmm. where you're meeting the targets and where you're not. And the green and the red became so emotionally laden, right? Cause you're like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm, I'm all right. I'm safe in mm-hmm. these areas, but those red spots are danger zones. Mm-hmm. And we interpret that as failure because that's how we were trained. We were trained, you need to know as much information as you can possibly know. And if you don't know it, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to be as technically excellent as humanly possible. And you could always be better, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And you you get so used to that model where you're constantly performing and aiming for those targets that of course you interpret them as kind of, you know, failure or success, failure or safety actually is, Mm -hmm. it's not really success. It's safety. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's such an important point. And when we're not safe, right, there's a lot of hypervigilance that comes into play and Mm -hmm. that is such a key source of the exhaustion and what have you found to be the most effective ways that people are able to then put a little space between, right? Separate themselves from those metrics and measures and red and green lights that they see. Yeah. I think a lot of the, the clients that I work with are in outpatient medicine. And I, I think decoupling the idea that, you know, chronic disease, for example, is all about me convincing the patient and prescribing the perfect medicine for them and getting them to completely overhaul their lifestyle. And if, I, if, I, if we're not having that success and their, their numbers, for example, their hemoglobin A1C for diabetes you know, is poor, that it's my fault that I didn't do a good enough job. 
And when we believe that, again, we're always going to try and work harder. And we're very often going to feel like a failure because there's so much else that goes into a person's health besides Mm -hmm. the medical care that they get. Mm -hmm. And so trying to you know, sort of untie those ideas and allow people to show up as physicians, as, you know, expert in those conditions, as compassionate human beings who are trying to educate and motivate and, you know, meet the patient where they are and prescribe appropriate treatments, including lifestyle. But, you know, having a healthy sense of detachment from the result right? Mm -hmm. If I can bring someone's hemoglobin A1C down from 15 to 11, I have done a good job. I'm not meeting the metric, Mm -hmm. but that person's life is better in terms of their Mm -hmm. health. And I need to recognize, you know, the impact of that, even if it's not technically where we want them to be, right? So Mm -hmm. recognizing your role in helping, educating, um, you know, recognizing barriers and trying to do your best to overcome them, but knowing that so much of our patient outcomes are determined by things that are completely outside of our control, right? Mm -hmm. Person's genetics, their socioeconomic status, um, you know, how long they've been ill with whatever they've been ill with, um, you know, who's in their family, how do they live? How do they take care of themselves? It's, it's all very complex, but it, that matters more, mm-hmm. m- more often than the medical care that they receive. Absolutely. And I hear in there, perhaps an invitation as well. And hopefully if we can step into that inherent worthiness and implicit worthiness, also letting go of the victory sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Because if we would take responsibility for the failure and the success, right? We're on this roller coaster. We have to let the patient really take ownership of both of those, right? Reducing right. their A1C and not you know, we can be part of the journey, but not necessarily the, the real main role in that yeah. shift. And I think that can be hard because we want to claim those victories too, right? Right, right, <laughs> right. Go of right. Of those. And, you know, we're such driven, sort of high level responsibility people mm-hmm. that, um, you know, we just, we make assumptions that everybody has the same kind of goals that we do, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. If you are now a person living with diabetes, then automatically that must mean that you want to get to a certain level of control. Mm -hmm. That's not true. I mean, it's even not true of us as human beings, right? When we as physicians have medical illnesses, we are Mm -hmm. not perfect and don't do all the things that we ought to do, you know, quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah. Embracing that spectrum. And I think that also speaking to the benefit of progress and the spectrum. So I love in the title, right? The name of your business healthier, right? So that idea that doesn't have to be one fixed way or certain, you know, ultimate target, it's, it's a spectrum of where you can go. So how do you help people decide what does healthier look like for me? Yeah. You know, I find through conversation that we have a sense of where we would like to be. And it's, it's not, you know, the pinnacle, you know, people aren't coming to me because they want to, you know, start training for a marathon. Mm -hmm. They're coming to me because they would like to be someone who exercises some of the time. Mm -hmm. They would like to lose the 20 pounds that they have gained, you know, through COVID. They are struggling, um, you know, with burnout and, you know, they end up, 
you know, plopping down on the couch after the kids go to bed and, you know, stuck on their phone for three hours and, you know, eating bags of chips and they know they don't want to do that, but they don't know how to stop doing those things. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think we, that idea of I can always be healthier, mm-hmm. but healthy is not a destination, right? It means something different to all of us, but we can all make small changes that get us closer to where we want to be. Yeah. And I think too, giving you the gift that if you do fall back or you ever want to think about it, that it's not a fixed state, right? So mm-hmm. if you fall off the train yeah. that you were planning, <laughs> that you can, you can still continue, right? You're just a different degree of healthy in that moment. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And then happier too. I mean, look at these words there. We can think about all the different feelings around the feeling of happiness and how do you help people to define that for them? Yeah. I mean, that's also, you know, very individual. I think of it. Um, so I'm also, um, trained in, um, the daring way, which is based off the work of, of Brene Brown. And she talks about when we are numbing our negative emotions, right? When we're trying so hard not to feel angry, resentful, irritable, frustrated, we try so hard to suppress those that we also end up suppressing the good things. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think as physicians, we have gotten very, very used to numbing our negative emotions, right? We don't want to appear frustrated or irritable or angry in front of a patient Mm -hmm. um, or sad or, you know, any of these other things. And so we hide them. But with that, she says, you can't, you can't numb only the dark. You end up numbing the light as well, right? You can't numb only the bad. You, you numb the positive emotions as well. And so you know, clients often find themselves in this place where not only are they sort of unable to keep hiding these negative emotions, things keep leaking out, they're crying a lot, they're overwhelmed, they're, you know, frustrated and irritable with their families, but also they cannot, you know, identify the last time they really felt happy or joyful Mm -hmm. or excited And so as we start to allow those negative emotions and stop suppressing them, but learn how to feel them and move through them, we also find ourselves accessing more happiness and joy and excitement and any of those positive emotions that we want to have. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine, right, we're strengthening some new muscle as we open up the spectrum of feelings. How do we then give ourselves the space to handle those feelings, even the positive ones, right? Because if joy was unfamiliar to us, it can be surprising, you know, and yeah. anything unfamiliar <laughs> can be scary. <laughs> yeah. Even yeah. when it seems positive. And how do you encourage people to step into that new space, right? Even those positive emotions. Yeah. One thing that we do when I'm coaching one-on-one with somebody is we get used to naming emotions that we experience as we talk through something that's happened. And emotions that we want to have. And so just using the language more helps, but also learning in the moment how to name the emotion. Um, it's called affect labeling in the, in the positive psychology literature, mm-hmm. right? Where if you are feeling angry and you tell yourself, I'm not feeling angry and you kind of mm-hmm. you know grit your teeth and, and pretend it's not there, you actually extend, you know, the experience of the negativity. 
Mm-hmm. Whereas if you acknowledge and even say it out loud to another human, I feel angry. Mm-hmm. Even if you just say it to yourself, that noticing by the brain allows the emotion to dissipate more quickly. Mm-hmm. And so when we are working on sort of identifying the emotions and understanding a connection with the, with the thoughts that we have and the actions that we take, we are practicing the muscle of allowing those emotions to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's a practice. And, you know, when people are first getting started, sometimes they feel like, well, I'm having all these negative emotions and I, mm-hmm. I'm really aware of them and they don't really yeah, like better that. before. <laughs> <laughs> but on the other yeah. hand, it's like, well, yes, because you've been suppressing so mm-hmm. much of that, but it's just a phase that people have to go through. Um, and it, you know, of course it doesn't feel good, but the better mm-hmm. we get at recognizing, you know, one, that the negative emotions are just a part of life and they're supposed to be there. They teach us things Two, that when we, you know, when we stop numbing, we get more access to all of the range of human experiences through our mm-hmm. emotions. Um, you know, and we, we stop being so afraid of experiencing negative emotions it's normal to feel anger at sometimes it's normal to feel sad at sometimes, but we don't have to stay stuck in them or be afraid of them. We can mm-hmm. learn to experience them, to be with ourselves during those times, mm-hmm. to take, to learn how to take care of ourselves when we're feeling those ways. And then the human experience is just so much richer. Yeah. And you bring up that word and you use it as well when you're describing how you help physicians, the unstuck piece. And I think it's important to notice too that you're going to come back to it, right? There is mm-hmm. really no forever and ever away from overwhelm, you know, so not being surprised that you did, you did so well and you found these solutions, but you can come back to it. And then you have these tools to get unstuck. And how do you help to guide people when they think they might have graduated, right? Like, I oh, yeah. championed overwhelm, you know, I'm good now. And then something new comes along and we yeah. think, ah, oh, right. Like you said, yeah. with those positions early on failure. <laughs> you should know how to do this by now, or especially be your coach yourself, right? I, I should know yeah. better. You know, I should know how to right. do this. How do we handle when it does come back around as the human experience offers us? Yeah. I think, you know, recognizing that there's a difference between experiencing an emotion and getting stuck in it. So mm-hmm. knowing that if I'm feeling, you know, uncomfortable or overwhelmed, it's an opportunity for me to pause and to look at why am I feeling this way? And in my training as a coach, when we identify the emotion, we, we connect it with a thought, you know, so the thought may be, so if I'm sitting in a patient exam room and they've just told me 20 things and the list includes, you know, chest pain, I had this thing on my toe that's now gone. Um, You know, I'm worried about my family history. You know, they're they're going through this whole list and I'm sitting there and I'm hit by this feeling of overwhelm in that moment. I think many of us can connect with that. And, you know, if I stop for just a moment and identify the thought is something like, I'm thinking that I have to deal with all of these concerns right now. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking that all of this information must be useful or else they would not have said it. And I'm responsible for connecting all of these things together. You know, when we have those thoughts, yes, of course, we're going to feel overwhelmed. 
but there's an opportunity, especially with practice to say, okay, is it true that I need to deal with every single one of these items right now? No. What did I hear that's most important? I heard chest pain, which, you know, is every, every outpatient doctor's nightmare, right? Because <laughs> stuck in these mm-hmm. clinics and don't have all the resources that, you know, Western medicine says we need to automatically engage anytime we hear the ch- complaint of chest pain. But mm-hmm. what do I need to do? I, I need to recognize the overwhelm as a sign that it's time to, you know, focus very quickly. Okay, I'm not going to be dealing with all of these things. I need to identify what I need to deal with today, right now. And that's mm-hmm. it. Right. And then I'm mm-hmm. not overwhelmed anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm focused. Yeah. Overwhelmed is an invitation to focus. I like that spin on it. Yeah. And so one thing I was actually just talking with a colleague about today too, is we always be, we always think about, what we don't know, you know, so we get caught up mm-hmm. in the, I'm not sure how to handle that. And we can bring it back to what do I know? Like in that visit, right? Well, what can I handle today? Not blowing off the other complaints, but you know, what is reasonable for this moment? Mm-hmm. And then these other things that might be at the edges of my scope, you know, I'll have some time to investigate and to figure out. Yeah. And how do we step into that space of self-trust around what do I actually know here? And why is that actually worth being the first step that I take? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Um, and where I see that come out a lot is notes when um, people are afraid to close their notes as they go, like maybe they've developed the skill that they can, you know, type more quickly in the room, but people tell me, well, I don't, I don't actually want to sign it because I need time to think about, you know, what the right answer is. And, you know, it's, it's about reframing of you can still complete that bit of work, not knowing exactly what all the right answers are, but know the next step you're going to take right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for example, I could close a note and I could say, I'm going to be speaking with the cardiologist, you know, and, and then come back to this note and I can always addend it and add more mm-hmm. information later. But I trust in the moment that my decision to contact a specialist is the right, you know, decision mm-hmm. for right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, of course, everybody's situation is different. If you're working in the hospital, the emergency room, you know, the OR, uh, you know, your your freedom to think like that is is different. But that's why we do so many drills. And, you know, we train so much in, okay, so if this thing happens, you know, what's the protocol if it's kind of an emergent situation? And if it's not an emergent situation, how can I decide on a next step, even mm-hmm. if it's not? you know, the textbook example. Yeah. I love that. And, and we do walk out of the rooms, you know, <laughs> so we, we are able to close some parts of it. So interesting, right. Which, which areas we don't yeah. allow ourselves to just commit to that decision in yeah. that. And so what are you finding are the greatest success stories of physicians with whom you're working and, you know, ways that they're able to change their lives? What do you see as that unstuckness looking like in real time? Yeah, I like to review wins with people at the beginning of each session. And sometimes I'm really surprised by things people say, um, Mm -hmm. because maybe we've been working on an area. So maybe we've been working on charting or inbox uh, work, or we've been working on incorporating exercise or or different things. And they'll, they'll share with me, well, you know, yesterday I walked out of clinic and all but two of my notes were done. And it felt amazing. And I went home and then I didn't know what to do with myself. 
right? <laughs> like that's the best problem to work on moving forward of like, yeah, how do we, how do we use yeah, that free time? time right? <laughs> yeah. How do we, you know, choose what we do with the rest of our human waking hours? So making those small steps forward is, is really empowering and recognizing you know, when we've done that, because it's very easy to make small steps forward and to say, well, yeah, but I'm not doing a hundred percent. I'm not getting it right all the time. It's not perfect. And we want to, we want to stop that. You know, we, we don't want to recognize the accomplishments we've made, but, but really when our brains are working on change, when we're building habits, small steps are really the way forward. Mm-hmm. So it's really empowering to me when somebody can start telling me wins and they'll often like keep going They're like, Oh, and this, Oh, and this was better. And Oh, I, you know, I had lunch in the middle of the day. <laughs> I stopped and I ate food and then I went outside for a few minutes and just those small things feel so empowering. Um, that it, it's such a, I don't know. It's such a good thing for me to observe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so important because like you said, oftentimes we will deflect the wins, you know, mm-hmm. or just that two charts on finish could have been, I still had two notes left, right? I didn't get them all done, but I only had two notes left. Didn't get an A plus. Go home. <laughs> yeah. And just that too, right? That open space can sometimes be really scary, especially in medicine, because we've had such a clear trajectory, right? A very mm-hmm. focused path. And so anytime there is this, I can do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do I want to do? What am I, I going to no do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. We've heard lots of great ways. You know, it's built into the, the title of the work that you're doing, but I'd love to hear from you how you see yourself for the health of all things. Yeah. I am. I have so many different ways I could answer that, but mm-hmm. I'm going to go with, Um, One of the favorite things that I learned um, along the pathway, I did a course on the science of happiness and it covered a lot of different areas. But one of my absolute favorite things was um, identifying a sense of awe. Mm. And the way that they described a sense of awe was sort of marveling at something that was either very large or very small, like very large, Mm. like the sky, like a sunset or very small, like, um, I like watching a bee pollinate a flower. Mm-hmm. And so I make it a personal practice to try and identify as much awe in the world in my day to day as possible. And I think when we take small steps again, to sort of notice beautiful moments, it elevates our, you know, whatever you want to call it, spirit, our our inner being in such a way that we really can resonate with, I don't know, the goodness that's out there. And then we can be more kind, more thoughtful, more caring, more concerned about other people. And so it's kind of one of these small things, but I see that as a path to, I don't know, kind of even awakening a little sense of wonder Mm -hmm. in ourselves that allows us to be like kind of the best version of ourselves. And when we're the best version of ourselves, I believe that we are for the health of ourselves and all the other, all the other creatures. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Awe is that invitation to both be grounded, but also expansive. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Thank you. 
Well, do tell everyone where they can find you, whether they are in the greater Seattle area or virtually. Yeah, so um, I'm easiest found at my website, which is www.healthierforgood.com. And I'm on Facebook and Instagram. And my handles are Megan Mello MD. And um, so those are the best places to reach me. And I encourage people to reach out. And I love the work that I'm doing coaching physicians. It's such a such a beautiful opportunity to make a difference in what I observed going through training where I just saw women leaving and sometimes coming back and sometimes not, but there's an opportunity for us to heal and then to make decisions about what we want for ourselves. And that's really what I want for, you know, all of us in healing communities to be able to find healing, to find peace and to really connect with what we find meaningful and be able to do more of that. I love it. Well, thank you for doing that work. And thank you for taking the time to share it with us here today. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of This Osteopathic Life, Conversations for the Health of All Things. Please take a moment to like, rate, and review the podcast. And if you would like to be featured as a guest or know someone who you'd like to nominate as a guest for an episode, please let me know at thisosteopathiclife at gmail.com. Visit the website at thisosteopathiclife.com or visit me on Instagram and Facebook at This Osteopathic Life. Thank you so much for listening.